good evening and welcome to the Apologetics.com radio show where we challenge believers to think and thinkers to believe. I'm Harry Edwards, your host for the evening. And tonight, well, before I uh, introduce tonight's topic, uh, I want to say hi to our panelists this evening. I've got Lenny Esposito. How are you doing, Lenny? Good, Harry. How are you? Happy New Year, or almost New Year as we're coming along. Yes, we are live, so this is not recorded. Uh, And the New Year is is less than 48 hours away from now. We're almost a quarter of the way through the 21st century. Wow, that's right. That's crazy. Uh, And... Someone who is not um, not new, not new. Not you've, new. You've even hosted the show before. I know yeah. Tony. Not old. Yeah, but not new. <laughs> there you go. Somewhere in the middle. Tony Costello, how are you doing? Good. You, you, you called us panelists. That that makes me feel like I should be an expert or something. Oh, you being are called a panelist. In my book, you're an expert. You're, Either that or somebody's you, you judging game shows. Me. I'm not sure. I just leveled you. up. I just leveled up. <laughs> Well, uh, again, welcome, gentlemen, to the show. I know Jacob uh, is not with us, um, and so we will miss him. But we've got a show to to do, and thanks, Tony, for chipping in. Um, It's late, but I'm here. Yeah, you're here. All right. I never know if it's late or it's early. Well, before we get to the topic, just how's everything going at, uh, let's start with you, Lenny, uh, at Come Reason. How's everything? Uh, Doing well. Busy. I'll be in New Orleans next week at the New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary at their Defend the Faith conference. So that's going to be fun. And then our Dare to Defend conference happens in uh, Corona, March 1st and 2nd. So uh-huh. that should be great. Neil Shenvey's coming out. Nice. Uh, Fuzz Rana, Ken Samples. Greg Gansel's going to talk about beauty. Uh, uh, good old Double G. Yeah. That's uh, awesome. We're, 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 we're basically um, talking about how we're losing our humanity mm. as a culture. So You're going to speak at that one too, right? Yeah, yeah, I'll be there as well. And yeah, so uh, tickets are on sale now. You That's can great. go to comereason.org and find those. Do we get a discount, me and Tony? <laughs> Absolutely. Early bird pricing, Early. actually. <laughs> but free. <Right>. Yeah. <laughs> and Tony, uh, how are things at the Kirkwood Center? Yeah, so... Um, and, and tell our listeners what, what that's all yeah. about, because we're all part of that, actually. You, you, cer- right. you certainly are, and, and Lenny's actually done most of the work. Yeah. <laughs> so the Kirkwood Center for Theology and Ethics, we launched it in June of last year, and uh, you know we are trying to connect uh the seminary the academy and the church and you know continue to provide the church with more and more resources uh to help it uh, articulate and defend the christian faith especially in a time of cultural turmoil although maybe it's always a time of cultural turmoil um so our goal is yeah it's just connect the um the this where the theological philosophical uh apologetic scholarship is with the local church, the pastors can have the best resources available. You, you know, we live in Southern California, and there are uh, earthquake codes. And many of the older buildings, churches included, were built before these codes take, took place. So a lot of times what they have to do is they have to go back in and they have to add, like, straps between the building and the foundation. That's kind of what we're doing. We're, we're the strap to, to hook between like the it. rock, the solid rock, and then the church building itself. to put itself. that in the mission statement. There you I go. like that. <laughs> so we have the Kirkwood Center podcast for theology and ethics that we try and put out weekly, and got a big one coming up in January, actually, yeah. with a lot of the some of the Discovery Institute guys about a recent debate that took place in at Harvard between Lee Cronin and uh, James Tour. So the, let them know the site. Like, where can they access all the all these uh, great the Kirkwood resources? The uh, is the website, and then you can find our podcast, the Kirkwood Center Podcast for Theology and Ethics, on our YouTube channel, Kirkwood Center. All right, great. Well, tonight we are discussing. Here, here's the title of the show tonight: the ramifications of adopting a relativistic concept. Of truth, so if you've been living or hiding under a rock lately, you might have missed what's been going on in the last couple of months. And I'm referring to the tragic attack by Hamas on Israel on October 7, in which thousands were killed, including grandmothers, babies, and many were taken hostage. Uh, one would think that the world would be unanimous in condemning the attacks, but it didn't take long before many started saying that it was Hamas and the Palestinians who were the victims and not the terrorists in this case. 
So here, here's, I'm, I'm trying to connect it here, so hang on. Uh, then anti-Semitism became the major topic in the days that followed. Sadly, many of the leaders of our elite institutions of higher learning chose to remain silent, choosing not to condemn the violence against Israel, instead rationalizing anti-Semitic behavior as contextual. So here... Um, uh, some of the presidents of these elite institutions of higher learning were brought before Congress, and uh, there's this conversation or, or this line of questioning by Elise Stefanik, who is a U.S. representative from New York and a committee member of the Education and Labor um, Department here. Uh, and she point blank asked Dr. Claudine Gay, does calling for the genocide of Jews violate Harvard's rules of bullying and harassment? Yes or no? And her response was, it can be depending on the context. So those are the famous words from her. Uh, that's her response. It, it can be depending on the context. So Stefanik was quick to, to ask a follow-up question, like, what's the context? And, of, of course, at that point, all she can do is obfuscate, uh, but she said something like targeted at an individual, which doesn't really make a lot of sense. Uh, it's obvious, of course. <laughs> so Stefanik was quick to say, it's targeted at Jewish students, targeted at Jewish student individuals. <laughs> so it... it and after that, I think it was just awkward silence from Dr. Gay. When I was actually watching that, I mean, I wasn't really intending to watch it. I wasn't looking for it, but just happened to be on my feed. And then I heard that response, and I'm thinking, oh, my goodness. I thought relativism was kind of dead in higher education, and I thought it was the Christians or the churches that are still sort of uh, adopting that, but... Uh, Apparently, it's alive and well. So I'm, I'm going to ask you guys, what are some of the ramifications of adopting a relativistic concept of truth here? So she couldn't say yes or no to that. It's kind of like spongy, you know, mm. uh, can't really pin it. It's neither right, neither wrong. Uh, it, it's a weird kind of response. It depends on the context. Right. What do you guys think of that? Well, what I think what it means, you know, the idea of relativism is it's rel relative to what? I mean, there's no, again, what we're dealing with here when I think we're dealing in, well, probably most of the institutions of higher learning in our country these days, but it's certainly these, these major, you know, East Coast schools that have for so long uh, been... Um, have for so long rejected anything like a classical system of education, um, any kind of uh, pursuit of truth that is grounded in um, transcendent, a transcendent notion of reality, a transcendent, certainly like uh, God would be the, the primary example yeah. of that. And so what, what, what has been in our institutions for a while is a notion of truth being something more like... Um, when we make truth claims, these are attempts to gain power and control over the people who to whom we're making the claim, right? So this is kind of the postmodern understanding of truth, that we're not really making claims about reality as we think it is, even if they might be fallible claims, you know, they could turn out later to be false or inaccurate. But, and, on the, and, you know, you'd say like maybe Nietzsche is sort of a fountainhead for this. He articulated this idea that all sort of claims about reality are really just underlying uh, attempts to gain power and control over mm -hmm. others, right? Yeah. And I think our in, we have to uh, look soberly at the f fact that most of our, our institutions of higher learning have been operating in this with this sort of concept of truth for quite some some time now. Yeah, I think I think the postmodern um, ideology first 
takes hold. And one of the benefits to those in academia of the postmodern ideology is it sets a standard, first of all, of superiority, where the expert is the one to show us simpletons that what you think is true isn't necessarily true. It, re it reminds me very much of, um, like, if you ever watch one of these shows on National Geographic Channel or something like that where you have the you have the sociologist who goes and lives with the aboriginal people of South America or whomever and he'll say how you know you may think that these people live in barren conditions and and your western way of life is so much better but look they have a zero carbon footprint and they tend to they don't leave any litter behind they they consume everything right and and so he they they say this with an erudite error such as you know i have unique insights that you peons don't, don't right. what what they leave out is is if they're when they're living with that tribe diagnosed with something like leukemia they're not going to go to the witch doctor to have him kill a chicken they're going to get themselves to the the closest western hospital to get proper treatment right. you know <laughs> with the snake bite with the with the uh uh gangrene infection, they're going to make sure that they don't lose that leg. They're going to right. run to a Western center. So so it's this idea, but it but the postmodern point of view now allows the academic to say, you don't understand. You, you're, you're a victim of your uh, own story, and you're, you, it's your internal biases that are clouding you, whereas I can help you see through that. There's got to be a word for what you just described right there, right? Yeah, there's got to be a word for that. <laughs> but yeah, you're right. But when the cameras are off, you see the so the doctor sociologist go into his Humvee to right, to right. stay at a three star hotel five miles down the road, right? Yeah, because I mean. <laughs> yeah, there's an assumption there that one culture in discovering or in, in 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 pursuing a certain path towards truth has actually discovered things about the way reality is and been able then to build certain technologies or have certain advancements. Right. And that's actually one of the yeah. uh, so, sort of the grounding uh, facts behind relativism, meaning you see how things change or we didn't know this before and we were uh, uh, wrong. And so there might be other things we're wrong about. So we can't really. Well, and, and you might have um, relativism about uh, truth, but, you know, uh, there are different types of truths there are metaphysical truths but and then there are moral truths and I think what we're really dealing with here is because there's been um, uh, this claim that there are no sort of deeper truths or metaphysical truths therefore morality becomes relative relative to who and we you know living in the the DEI culture of diversity equity inclusion we say well if if you're gonna say that all truths are are all Morality is just relative to the cultures that that produce um, produce or create moral standards and norms. Yeah. And there are no moral standards or norms that are universal uh, to all cultures or across time because there's no such thing as a fixed human nature, right? Then who's to say which culture has the right, the better, the correct, uh, morality or not. So when you get a bunch of students protesting in favor of uh, a barbaric slaughter of innocent people, how do you make the judgment that what their, prote right. their protest is wrong or deficient or unrighteous? Right. Who's to say, right? So you get yourself into this trap. And then when, when we see presidents of universities like Dr. Gay say something like, even if, if when she said was asked, do you believe in the right to Israel to to exist and she said yes i firmly believe that israel has the right to exist one wonders though does she actually believe that or is that just something she's saying expediently you know because she feels in the in the moment that's what you do in order to get by yeah. you yeah. know so it's it's hard to know i am not going to say she doesn't believe uh that israel uh, shouldn't exist, but you know it's it's hard to know if you're working under this framework of relativism. Well, we know we know that she holds to absolutes and certain values because of her actions as president. So, for for example, 
Um, she's right now, she had undergone a, a radical renaming campaign across Harvard to purge the Harvard buildings and, mm. and, and places of, of names of those who were deemed morally deficient in previous eras, such as Winthrop House. Now, anybody who knows anything about Harvard, John Winthrop was the person who's responsible for the founding of Massachusetts, right? And his grandson, I believe, started Harvard, was one of its presidents, and and so the the Winthrop name is really deeply embedded in the history of Harvard. But she is again pulling that out because why he was let me guess white male. white male <laughs> exactly yes. in in um, twenty twenty Harvard revoked uh, Kyle Kashuv's acceptance to the institution because as a 16-year-old, he made comments on social media that were, uh, you know, 16-year-old boys. <laughs> right. And, and, and he had apologized for him. She disinvited uh, feminist philosopher Devin Buckley from an English department colloquium on campus over her views on gender and trans issues. Uh, we've seen this over and over again. This is why uh, the FIRE organization, which is the Foundation for Individual Rights, uh, it used to be in education. I think it's an environment. They, but they... This last year, they've rated hard. First time any college institution got a zero score in terms of freedom of speech. Uh, it's it's staggering, and and President Gay is leading this charge. Yes, yeah. yes. And the other two so, presidents so there's were always, much better. Either, no, no. Say, this uh, this goes this goes back quite a MIT ways. But but yeah. my point is. There's she, you know, to say that there are no absolutes is disingenuous because she absolutely believes that white supremacy is wrong. Wrong, right. So she's making a moral claim based on absolutes. I like what this uh, headlines on a news media outlet said our institutions of higher learning are waging a war on truth. I think they're right on, spot on on that. Yeah, well, and that, you know, this goes back to, you know, like, what was Marx's uh, maxim where he said, you know, up until up until uh, now and Marx is in the mid 19th century, philosophers have only sought to describe the world. But the philosopher's true job is to change the world, you know, and I think I don't know if what was one of the Jonathan Haidt or one of these guys have talked about the difference between a, a justice based university and a truth based or truth seeking universities. And a lot of these universities have become just sort of act schools to develop political activists. Right. I mean, I'm I'm reading. The, I went back to some of my uh, articles on critical legal studies from the '90s, and I found an article by Duncan Kennedy, who was a professor of law at Harvard at the time. Um, and he's arguing for affirmative. He's arguing for the rejection of merit-based. Um, in you know, um, acceptance into the law school. He's arguing that they should just get rid of what he calls fundamentalist, colorblind uh, meritocracy. Mm. He wants to get rid of this in favor of just absolute affirmative actions and just diversity. Diversity trumps uh, meritocracy. And one of the things that he argues is that knowledge is just uh, is inherently and intrinsically political. So the idea is if you want to uh, improve, if you want to get people power, if you want to get people power, wealth, prestige, then just get them into these institutions that produce knowledge because that's a means for them to get power, wealth, and prestige. It's not knowledge in the classical sense of like trying to figure out how the world actually is and then how we should live you know, together in the world based on a certain design in the world. It's about us producing knowledge and then getting stuff that we want because people believe us, hmm. believe that we're, we're saying true. And that's, that's how these universities are operating. I mean, that's what they're doing. They're producing knowledge, not discovering truth. Knowledge is just another kind of a commodity. It's a commodity. Right. Yeah. It's something to be bargained and bought and sold. So 
I mean, maybe people, people need to think about that if they're trying to send their kids to Harvard. Now, you did a lot well, of work on Marx, Marxism and socialism and, and the uh, champions of those. Does, doesn't this sound like it's those guys that we're promoting? It's Marxism and... Well, I mean, I think it's it's sort of like it's a, it's a version of Marxism that we've just been living under for a long time because critical theory made its way. Look, you might you might go to the STEM departments and maybe the STEM departments are still working under some kind of more enlightened enlightenment mm. mode the, in the realm of the scientific project that, you know, Bacon launched in the 16th century. And but but even there, there's this uh the relativism that has creeped into the humanities departments is affecting even the yeah. stem the stem departments now you know and this this marxism that you know that had its long march through the institutions you know it made its way mainly through the social sciences the humanities literary studies and so on anything that ends in studies yeah. you can yeah. you can basically that's a red flag it's <laughs> a red flag right off the bat yeah. you're right any right. any any academic degree you get in studies you know you're well, well, for example, um, Dr. Uh, Richard Bosshart recently wrote in the National Review that, quote, America's surgeons are not woke enough, according to the American College of Surgeons. And what he's saying is he's deeply concerned because the quality of surgical residents that we are now seeing based on the DEI practices and the anti-racist teachings that are being developed by the American College of Surgeons has caused the, the student of surgery to have a much lower skill set than, than those who would have just been hired based on merit. So maybe it would be, and it was, it's the same issue that Congress called uh, the the colleges too, you know, you want the best individuals there, and that may be overwhelmingly Asian or maybe white, but they can't have that. So you're getting underqualified surgical residents, and what does that mean for you as a patient? What now? What now? We're going to get poorer results. Yeah. Just, what are the ramifications of that? And that's. Yeah. That's scary, and this is—we're talking about. We're all going to be moving to. We're talking about a STEM <laughs> program right, here. Yeah. This is so. Yes, it does affect all of these. Well, things. and look at the qualifications for Dr. Gay herself. I mean, oh, you know, we got to yes. point out that this is very unusual. That somebody who's got, I think, eleven publications, and that's yes. not books; that's just articles. Half of which are plagiarized, and yes. she's <laughs> under severe accusations of plagiarism by other black professors like Carol Swain. You know, um, who's a very well-known academic. Um, so, it, you know, it does look, you know, if it looks like a duck and quacks yeah. like a duck. I mean, it looks like what we would call a DEI hire, right? And that's not to say that she's not smart, that she's not intelligent, that she's not a high achiever. But, but she's ideological. But she's ideologically driven. That's what they're looking for. And, of course, she has the social features that match the narrative. Right. And that's going to always lead to a problem, especially if you do it generation after generation. We're going to start diminishing the quality of uh, the type of institutions that we have. Yeah, people will now doubt that just because you have a degree from Harvard, you know anything. I mean, I shoot, mean, I've, I've published 11 journal articles. Yeah. <laughs> you know, maybe I should apply for <laughs> there you <go>. presidency somewhere. <laughs> well, you know, we're coming up on a station break pretty soon, but uh, if you want to join our conversation this evening, give us a call, 888-995-5552. Again, 888-995-KKLA. And uh, again, before we get into the station break, I just want to remind our listeners that we are completely supported entirely by your generous donations. If you find our shows valuable and wish to see it continue, please support us by liking and sharing this on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, and other social media outlets. You can also help us with our radio costs by going to our website, www.apologetics.com, and click on the Donate button. Any amount helps, and your partnership will help us remain on the air. So we'll see you right after the break.
Well, welcome back to the second half hour of the Apologetics.com radio show, where we challenge believers to think and thinkers to believe. Tonight's topic is the ramifications of adopting a relativistic concept of truth. And we connected that to the recent testimony of Dr. Claudine Gay when she responded to the question, does calling for the genocide of Jews violate Harvard's rules of bullying and harassment? Yes or no? Her response was, it can, de- it can be, depending on the context. So right there, a direct uh, reference to uh, this f- philosophical concept of relativism, you know, a uh, meaning that there is no absolute truth. Truth re- really is what you make it out to be. It, it's it's a feeling. It's a personal choice, not grounded in anything. Here's a, here's an yeah. interesting thing. Harvard's motto currently on its site is Veritas, which means truth. But of course, you have to ask yourself, what truth? That's not Harvard's original motto. Harvard's original motto was Veritas Christo et Ecclesia, which is the truth found in Christ and the church. Mm -hmm. And the Harvard logo, the seal, had three books on it, Veritas, showing that study of knowledge can lead to truth. But the bottom book was actually flipped upside down, saying that there's a limit to man's knowledge. This comes from the Harvard graduate Christian community. And it was understood that as a limit to man's knowledge, we had to seek God in order to find that truth. Now, the modern logo, the Christo et Ecclesia is gone. It's just yeah. Veritas. It's, it's, it's just Veritas, mm-hmm. and the book is turned right side up, the third book. So now mm-hmm. it's like, it, it's very Kantian. It's very, we can know all truth, mm-hmm. right? We can just leave it to us, and we'll figure it all out ourselves. And that's where the problems start. Well, mm-hmm. I, I... I didn't know that. I wouldn't Thanks for say sharing that. that. I, yeah. wouldn't, I wouldn't say that about Kant, but I, I would say that if you flip the book up, upside down, because you think that you are the source of truth, that mm-hmm. you produce truth from the sheer act of your will. Yeah. Then you can flip the book upside down because you you're not you're not looking seeking to discover something outside of yourselves. You could infinitely produce a, all kinds of nonsense and call it truth. Um, and in that sense. Uh, it could be potentially <laughs> unlimited. And the problem with this, and this is the problem with postmodernism that, again, starts in around the 19th century with people like Nietzsche and Marx and so on and so forth, is that truth becomes a product of the will, hmm. right? Uh, which is in philosophical or theological terms is called voluntarism. The will, the volition uh, cr- just creates um truth and and, and if that's your view of uh, of truth then yeah you could you could keep you know just putting things out there and uh creating your own reality of course what we know from experience is that the real world will always continue to bump up against the so-called truths that we think we can create step off the curb yeah and it's not both you and the bus right and you know one of the things that and this is you know the old debate that the greeks had between is there an actual there we, we we know that there are actual there's an actual physical reality that we can study through the natural sciences and if there's a design in the physical world then is there a structure and design to the moral world to the moral realm and uh, the answer to that is Christians is yes. Yes, there is. of course. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Here, here's yeah. what I always uh, think for for the secularists. Secularist, the challenge in in their idea of truth is the grounding problem. Yes, you know absolutely. how do they ground truth? So if there is no super being, a transcendent being, some some being outside of us or some force, whatever it is, then Truth is grounded on us. It has to be, right? It, it can't just be floating you're, out there. You're talking about moral truth. Right. Let's, let, yeah. let's talk about moral truth. Right. And, and so you, I think you have those two choices. I don't know how you live in the in-between. 
Well, right, and to bring right? it back down to this particular situation, if truth is just produced as a product of the will, it's not grounded in anything other than the individual will or the corporate will, the, the will of a, a particular group or group culture. Of people, which breaks well, down by how? Way. I mean, and if you know, I don't. I'm not. I don't think Claudine Gay, Claudine Gay is 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 an anti semite, but. What she's supposed? To, how she's supposed to evaluate what these pro-Hamas protesters on her campus are saying? Right. That's that they're producing truth, according to their cultural mm-hmm. history. But, and but again, she yeah. acts in yeah. it, within certain circumstances yeah. that there is a truth to which you've violated. Therefore, right. we're going to excuse you from faculty. Right, and that could be and based that is her on downfall. what your strongest emotions right. are. Right, that, right. Then, right. Then you could get into sort of emotivism. So well, then my is strongest emotions yeah. are, are something like this. So in, in reality, if, if true, in some ways, if truth is relative and you're trying to be consistent, you actually have to remain quiet. That's you can't right. really assert anything. Because you're either going to be for or against something, but you can't be for something because you might be wrong, but you can't really be against something because you might be wrong there too. You see how you, crazy you, that you is? You can get into a very, yeah, just a perennial sort of like neutrality where you cannot, you become just totally impotent to do any good. Um, you know, any it's not livable. Good. It's not livable. Well, and yeah. it drove Nietzsche crazy really i mean he he he, he 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 this this it ultimately leads to nihilism it ultimately leads to the idea that while the world just is the way it is whether no matter what i believe it's still going to be nasty and ugly and yeah uh, ultimately savage and and what's the point of it all what's the point of it i was sharing a while ago while we were at our break uh with you guys how i i know the october 7th attacks were egregious, horrible, and uh, evil, pure evil. It's their 9-11, right? Yeah. Where thousands perished and, and hundreds were taken hostage. And tortured. And, and tortured. Yeah, it, it's just unbelievable. And I'm, I'm glad I didn't see any videos of that, uh, but apparently there were videos of that. Horrendous. But um, there is a silver lining in all of this. Like I was tr- trying to analyze this in my own experience, in my own thinking as bad as it is it has now forced the world to look evil in a fresh way so to speak like 9-11 maybe a lot were confused and america changed forever after 9-11 mm-hmm. uh and, and 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 we've been confused and things have been getting worse and but we we're not we haven't been willing to look evil in the eye and say that's evil. But now we're forced to do that. And so I think the uh, kind of like the taking sides, people are definitely polarized and you see the craziness on the other side. And uh, I'm okay using that word, right? I mean, we know evil is evil. I think we side on that for sure. But now on the other pole, they don't see it as evil, and you know that's evil. Well, you, yeah, you would think people would recognize that the wanton destruction of human life, especially the most innocent, defenseless of human life—babies, children, you know, women, grandmothers, grandmothers—would yeah. you be able to immediately recognize that as ex- an extreme or radical ver- evil? Unfortunately, I think the problem is so is so deep right now in our culture that. Um, well, there's a couple things. One, I think Pope John Paul II, when when he was uh, still uh, alive and obviously still Pope, you know, called our culture, the Western culture, culture of death. You know, and he was talking in the context of life issues, abortion, euthanasia, and mm-hmm. so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. But you know, we're becoming more and more we're more and more comfortable with with just you know killing children, with in, you know right. you know maybe pushing for the euthanization. Euth- um, assisted killing of of people we deem uh, no longer useful to the society and so on and so forth so one wonders there how close we are to our own barbarity yeah right we just cloak it in medical garb we cloak it in medical garb we we do lethal injections and, and everything uh and and you know we don't see the baby when it's scalded to death or its skull is crushed in the womb um, but, you know, the other thing, too, going back to Marx, is we're very simplistic in our analysis of what we think. There is something that now people, uh, where 
as far as a grounding for right and wrong. And it's very simplistic and it's very shallow. And it is whoever seems to have the greater amount of economic, political, or military might is automatically considered guilty and culpable. And whoever has the lesser amount of the same things is automatically considered innocent or morally good, right? That's the oppressor oppressed or what one uh, sociologist from MIT, Paul Hollander, called the cult of the victim. Yeah. The victim, uh, you, you're enthralled with those who have less material power. And they are somehow just immediately perceived as more, almost like morally pristine, right? So if Israel is the stronger state, the more successful state, the more right. successful and prosperous nation, they must be the guilty ones. Right. What's fascinating about that ideology is that is actually only comes out of a Christian society. In other words, yes, it's, it's a right. uniquely Christian heresy. It's because... Prior to Christianity, it was always <clears throat> understood that those who were the victors, those who were the mightier, were considered better, right? It was it was Rome and the barbarians. <laughs> you know, it was a, it was the, it's it's not the infidels who you cheer. Uh, so it's <clears throat> literally when Christianity highlighted the everyman. I mean, the, the Romans couldn't figure this out. They, they, they would say, right. you're the religion of women and slaves, and that was like one of the worst derogatory things that you could say about people. You're, you're the religion of the underdogs. Mm. But Christianity held, no, no, all human beings have intrinsic worth, even the underdogs. You can't treat them as subs, uh, subservient or subhuman. Substandard. Substandard. Yeah, yeah <laughs> substandard, subhuman. Um, so... What's happened, though, is people have taken this idea and used it now as a cudgel against Christians yeah. to say all people who are underdogs are therefore not only equal, but, heck, all, the, all you need to do is get out of the way to let them flourish. And you are obviously in the way because you have more cards in your deck than they do. Right. Yeah, it's a very simple—I mean, Thomas Sowell has written so many— Books yeah. and he, he talks about this uh, quite a lot. About he's the this, guy to read now. This oversimplistic yeah. analysis of why there are disparities in culture. One, how the disparities even arise, but then two, this and this is why I, I, I try and say it this way: the problem with Marxism, and this actually goes back to Rousseau, is they place the moral component not in the heart of the individual person, but in the relationship between two persons. So we would say like an employ an employ a boss and his employee. For Marx, that's immediately it immediately because there's a discrepancy in the relationship. The boss is guilty and the employee is always, you know, the proletariat is the employee is 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 the better person, right? Mm -hmm. But as Christians, we would say, no, it's the quality of the person occupying those right. positions that matters. It's the moral character of the boss versus the moral character of the employer, the moral character of the parent and the child, the moral character of the president and the people he's serving. It's not just in the relationship between the two. And because, and this is because of Marx's uh, extreme anti-hierarchical idea that everything has to be exactly the same if you're going to have a good society. You can't have any kind of discrepancies in society. And this is just such a it's an impossible way of living. First of all, it's never going to happen. Yeah. And yeah. second, it's just totally off the mark with regards to where morality actually lies, which is in the heart and soul of every individual man, woman, and child. Now, if I'm going to play devil's advocate, they might say, well, doesn't the Bible say that there is no difference between Jew and Greek, slaves or free sure. or whatever? I mean, what? But it also says... If you lust after a woman, you have sinned. Yeah. So it's so regardless of whether you've acted upon it, regardless of ever, if ever she even noticed you, she may be walking away from you. But it's it's your internal reflection that makes the difference. Well, and I'm the no, no Jew and Greek. No, I mean what what God is clearly reminding us is that we all have a human nature, and that yeah. nature is being made in the image and likeness of God. Right. So those uh, those differences are superficial. Yeah. Those are superficial differences. Black, white, 
male, well, male and female are not quite as superficial. <laughs> But but, but ethnic they're, they're, they're not in, they they don't make an intrinsic worth but difference. They, they are superficial compared to the human nature yeah. that is in the image and likeness of God. Even even male and female are superficial differences compared to that yeah. commonality. Right. I'm wondering, do we have a caller? We we okay. All right. Well, we're waiting for this caller, but. Um, there's this one commentator, uh, I like what he said here, and I'm quoting, the controversy surrounding gay are a symptom of how progressivism has poisoned higher education. So to your point, um, a, a lot of what's going on is not based on merit anymore. It's really just based on representation. Uh, well, yeah, and even Carol Swain, who has a claim against gay for plagiary, for plagiarizing her work. Yeah says that, um, quote, I quote, this is Carol Swain, Harvard can't condemn Miss Gay because she is the product of an elite system that holds minorities of high pedigree to a lower standard, end quote. Okay. So she's saying that, hey, Claudine, Claudine Gay is, is, is a high-level person, but she's been pushed into something that she was not prepared for. All right, let me bring this caller in. Um... This caller's calling from L.A., and uh, he sees a different side of this topic. Caller, uh, is, is your name Sean? Sean. Sean, welcome to the show. Uh, do you have a question or a comment? I have a uh, comment and a question. Okay. Um, as I said that, you know, I don't agree with a lot of things because I am a woman of God according to the scriptures and a woman of prayer. I don't understand how how a lot of here lately there's been a lot of emphasis on at first it was um, Ukraine now Israel and I I don't, I'm not on anyone's side. I'm on God's side. I try to analyze things according to the scriptures. And I wanted to know why, um, if we're so concerned, like, I'm, 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 I listen to, I'm a part of you. You are part of me because we are one of the same of the Lord. So no matter what, I try to judge things according to, to the scriptures and how the Lord is close, how the, the how the Lord would you know let's search the scriptures out and see how how things were done according to the scriptures, and I see that they still everybody is kind of like one sided. I'm not one sided. I'm I'm on God's side, and it's. It's, it's a very tedious kind of thing because there's so much wrong that has been done and offenses on both, on all these sides. Okay. Sean, uh, let, let me interrupt you for a second. Are you saying then, if you can put this in a question, are you saying because we can't discern right or wrong because it's so confusing, so we need to remain agnostic about truth? Is that what you're saying? I'm not saying, Ray, no, not agnostic. We need to remain scriptural. You know, uh, because I, I continue to say, all have done some kind of wrong on that. Okay, the Hamas, yes, they are wrong. I'm not on their side. Mm -hmm. But there were some offenses to Hamas that that there was a seed that was planted that that brought out this that helped seed this ugly barbaric behavior and israel we we stay try to stay with israel because of the scriptures but then israel has wronged and most people in israel don't even believe in the, the god that we serve no, that's right. That's yeah. right. Yeah. They have yeah. done wrong too. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, there's a, and there's a couple of things here. I, I agree with you that we have to uh, keep an open mind and, 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 and a realistic understanding that 
the idea that this can be couched in a black hats versus white hats scenario is by itself simplistic there you know even russia and ukraine that's russia was clearly the invader but if you understand ukraine that's the highest nazi population you know white supremacist movement all that in there uh of any of those so but but so however we do have certain understandings that you know if you're a child and you go to school and someone harasses you every day that can be discouraging but if you come out and take a gun and blow that person's head off you have overreacted and you are accountable for your actions because the the result of your response it far outweighs the provocation and i think so what we have to understand is it's not just because they were provoked that they can do whatever they want in their counter response we're saying that somebody called you a name or and this is again i'm using a very dumbed down example and you came back with a pistol and shot them dead we just i mean there is a there is a proper level of response what Hamas did, and Hamas isn't even all Palestinians. You got to remember, Hamas is a recognized organization that I, I, uses I, I, I terror agree. as I'm its not on their side. Right. Oh right. yeah, we're not. No, we no, know that. No, no. Yeah. So, so, but, but, even Jesus, when he was confronted with the woman at the well who was talking, and she was a Samaritan woman, right? And she was. She said, "Hey, our prophets say we should worship on this mountain, and you." Jews say you should worship on that mountain, and you Jews have treated us terribly. You're in control, right? It's the same kind of dynamic, but Jesus didn't let that slide. He said, look, you worship what you don't know, but there is an actual way that God has said to worship. So he does draw a distinction, yet he doesn't alienate her in the conversation. He tries to draw her in. Hey, Sean, thanks for uh, calling, and uh, we appreciate the dialogue. So we've got some uh, other conversations we need to attend to. So keep listening, and again, we really appreciate your your thoughts and opinions. Thanks, Sean. Yeah, okay. Yeah, and I would just say, too, that, you know, yeah, I mean, all of sin and fallen— short of the glory of God. And one thing that Sean does, right, we need to be praying for Israel. We need to be praying for yeah. yes, all the Muslims. In, uh, and we need to be praying for Hamas. I mean, look, I was in Afghanistan. I fought against the Taliban. Taliban and Hamas are basically the same thing. Hamas used to go into eastern Afghanistan yeah. and, and come in and get training in the mountains. There are Palestinians. And you know what? We would, before we'd go outside the wire, we would pray every day that, uh, the, that Jesus would appear to those people that we were going to fight against, that uh, they would come to know the the one true God, that they would come to know their Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, put down their weapons, and you know, and and all that, and we did. But that we also know that we would all, we would, we were wise enough to also know to pray that if we had to get in a firefight, that our bullets would hit first. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, and it's just, and that's just being, gen, you know, yeah. wise as a serpent, gentle as a dove, because the yeah. world is just this broken. And you got to think, Israel is not, she, she was right, Israel's not like a faithful right. Christian no. state or anything. I mean, they have same-sex marriage. They practice abortion in Israel. Right. Um, but, you know, at the it is sort of more of like, living in the world perspective yeah. if you were to blow up gaza uh, with hamas at its leadership into a world power and if you were to blow up israel into a world and i mean just expand israel into world power and there were two world powers israel and gaza which one would you rather live in well for example right there are many many christians in palestine there are palestinian christians who are suffering because of this and the idf does not make a distinction they don't ask you whether you're christian or muslim first they just shoot however again when they took over when the palestinian hope forces hezbollah took over bethlehem there were some five thousand six thousand uh Christians living in Bethlehem. It was predominantly 50 to 60 percent of Bethlehem were Christians because it's Bethlehem. Uh, There are fewer than 200 today because Muslims will choke that out. And and that is true throughout the Muslim world. Is Bethlehem occupied by Palestinians now? Yes, Bethlehem's a a Palestinian territory. Didn't know that. And Hezbollah is the 
primary. Yeah. But you know, I do appreciate callers like Sean. Yeah, uh, yeah, it, it gives you a good it's, balance. It's, this is not a, an easy topic at all, and we we never claim that it yeah. it is. Uh, in, in fact, uh, like I said, I was really uh, heartbroken when I heard such testimony from yeah. Congress. It's it, because in reality, this is a matter of life and death, right. ultimately. And, you know, uh, it, yeah. and again, it's one thing to say. We have been oppressed, so we're going to go in and try and throw off our oppression. It's another thing to put a GoPro on your military helmet and film yourself raping young yeah, I music mean, we goers. can't look at we can't discount the <laughs> demonic activity that yeah. exists. I've you know I've I've felt it palpably, you know, in certain parts of Afghanistan as well. And I mean, the stuff. This is a this is. I mean, these are demonically inspired acts. I mean, they're ira- they're acts of absolute irrationality, and 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 barbaric cruelty. They have to be stopped. The only thing that stops these things, I'll tell you what: the only two forces that stop something like that are Jesus Christ, yeah, or a bullet. I mean, it's just it comes down to that. You meet ser- true evil like this, either the the person is going to have a conversion where they come to know. The living God, they come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, and that life changes, or they need to be stopped. Yeah. It's just, I'm sorry. It's That's just why Jesus goes. said, I am the way, the truth, and yeah. the life. I, I believe that truth, capital T, is ultimately embodied. That's right. We, it's not, like, it's not truth is not somewhere they're floating. It's hard to grasp that. But, and I think that's part yeah. of the problem. And this is what, to come back to these Palestinian protesters on Harvard and other campuses, is they have, ab- they, they just take an abstract view of these concepts and they're championing the concept. They're not championing the reality that underlies it. It was fascinating. In Maryland, they had a Palestinian protest and they had this film and uh, 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 a, uh, LGBTQ guy comes in with his flag and they came in and they ripped that flag out of his hand fast. They did not want to be associated with him in any way, shape, or form. They they almost took him out. The police had to take him away because he thought, oh, these are my buddies. And no, they weren't. No, you know, all. and I just want to, and because I know we're wrapping up, so we need to fight against anti-Semitism in this country. Yes. And we also make need to make sure that that Muslims are not uh, aggressed against and treated unfairly. Sure. I mean, I fought right. side by side with some unbelievable Muslim men in Afghanistan, and I love them to death. Mm-hmm. And you know, but you know, so this is there is this. But look, I don't know. We all need Jesus. I don't, I don't know yeah. what to say. Like there has to be. We need conversion yeah, that's, in this country and and everywhere. That's the way to end it, Tony. Yeah. Well, you've been listening to Apologetics.com Radio, where we challenge believers to think and thinkers to believe. Our hope is that you've learned some aspect about the Christian worldview that strengthens your faith and make you want to learn more. So special thanks to my panelists this evening, Tony and Lenny, and to our behind-the-scenes sound engineer, and special thank you to you, our listeners. Until next time, and I guess the next time we hear from you or see you is next year. So have a happy new year, everyone. Good night. Happy New Year's.